This week is a week of prayer, and so I'm going to preach on prayer, and I'm preaching from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 22, starting with verse 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. And after that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them in their minds. And then he adds, and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a confident heart to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with all the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Again, uh, this coming week is a time of, of prayer in our denomination and here. And I want to tell you something and share with you something that revolutionized my prayer life, and I hope will revolutionize your prayer life. This happened years ago, and it starts with this. When it comes to prayer, when it comes to any spiritual discipline, really, there is always one great danger. The danger is making prayer into a work as opposed to an act of faith. Prayer becomes a works righteousness when our prayers are based on us, our efforts, our morality, our goodness, our intensity, rather than by simple faith in receiving what God has to offer. There are so many ways we lapse back into basing our standing with God on our efforts or what the Bible calls works. The basic attitude is this. God will bless me when I get my act together. God will bless me when I behave. God will bless me when I'm good. I can go to God in prayer with confidence when I study my Bible enough, whatever enough is, or when I give enough, whatever enough is, or when I behave better, or or you can fill in the blank. Another way of stating it was a statement I read in a book about prayer. The author wrote, any sin qualifies as a sin that will close down God's ability to hear us. That is heresy. That is not heresy what the Bible teaches. There's only one reason God hears our prayers. There's only one reason God blesses us. There's only one reason we can actually come into God's presence at all, much less actually come into God's presence with boldness and full assurance and confidence like we're invited to by the writer of Hebrews. And that one reason is made by the Lamb of God 2,000 years ago when he shed his blood on a cross. 
It does not say we can come into God's presence because of the blood of the Lamb, plus we quit smoking. It does not say we can come into the presence of God with the blood of the Lamb, plus we have a great marriage. These things are not attached to this. There is only one entrance into the presence of God. There is only one reason why God accepts us into His presence, and that is because Jesus died for us and put His blood on the mercy seat of God. Now we can come in with boldness, Paul says. What that means is that there's no need for us to sweat and bleed and work harder and give more and be more committed or sacrifice in order for God to hear our prayers because I've got news for you. Our prayers are already heard because the perfect sacrifice has already been made and it wasn't yours or mine. has already been made and there is not another payment that needs to be made by you or me. His sacrifice was enough, praise the Lord. When Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished, he meant it. He meant that everything we need in order to draw close to God had been provided. Everything that could be done was done in order for God's blessings to flow into the life of his children. God doesn't bless me because of my efforts. He blesses me because of Jesus' efforts. Hallelujah. God doesn't bless me because I make sacrifices. God blesses me because Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. God doesn't bless me because of my goodness or your goodness. He blesses us because of the goodness of Jesus. Jesus is our righteousness, not us. Jesus paid it all. Hallelujah. There is nothing left to be paid by us. It is finished. The way was made. The work was done. Every blessing you will ever receive was paid for in full by Jesus Christ. There's nothing to add to it. I must confess that for a lot of my Christian life, I missed this simple truth when it came to prayer. I knew that I was saved, that I had a relationship with God based on grace through faith alone, but I didn't believe that about prayer. I thought, well, God accepts me as I am in Christ, but if I really want prayers answered, I really need to be a very, very, very committed Christian. Some of you listening this morning may feel the same way. You believe God can't possibly answer your prayers because you failed Him so much, or because you're weak in certain areas, or because you don't live your Christian life at its highest levels, or because you've done something wrong. You wonder, how can God bless me when I keep doing this over and over? How can God hear me when I'm such a lousy witness? How can He touch me when I yell at my kids, even though they deserve it? How can He he answer when I keep getting tempted with the same old stuff? Because, very simply, God doesn't bless us or answer prayers on the basis of our performance, on the basis of our works, on the basis of our righteousness. It is on the basis of Jesus' righteousness. It is on the basis of Jesus' works. It is on the basis of Jesus' blood. That takes care of it. If we say God will bless me or love me or forget because I do X, Y, and Z, we're back to self-righteousness. The prayer of any honest Christian should be, Lord... I don't deserve your blessings at all, but would you bless me anyway? And would you bless me, not on account of me, but on account of Jesus? Because God's grace is not dependent on our goodness, our righteousness, or our lives, period. God's grace is based on Jesus and love, love and grace freely given, which brings us to this shatteringly simple conclusion. How does God bless us, hear us, answer our prayers? 
God blesses us when we simply trust Him for His blessings. There's nothing more to it. God answers prayer not because we are good, but because Jesus' blood was spilled on a cross for us. God answers prayer because it's God's nature to give. God answers prayer because we have to accept the simple fact that God loves blessing His children. We never earn a thing. Ever. Ever. Let me tell you a little secret this morning. You know there's only one thing holding you back from drawing close to God? And it's not because you didn't have devotions this week. And don't get me wrong, I'm for devotions. And it's not because of your latest screw-up. Don't get me wrong, I'm not for your latest screw-up. The only thing that really holds us back from being close to God, and I want you to hear this, is not lust or greed or some addiction. The only thing ultimately that holds us back from God is a lack of faith that is created by self-righteous works. Did you hear that? I'll give you an example. In the, in, in, uh, the passage of Scripture, four verses later than in verse 26 in the same chapter of Hebrews, it says this. I want you to hear this. It says, if we deliberately, deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. This is the most misinterpreted verse in all of Scripture. It really is. Because what people interpret it to mean on the surface is, after you become a Christian, if you do serious sin and after that, you are doomed for hell. That's not what that verse means. What that verse means is this. The sinning it's talking about is going back to the old system of works, of trying to save yourself, of going back to Jewish law and earning instead of what Jesus has done for you and me through grace. And he says, if you reject Jesus' sacrifice, you reject his sacrifice on a cross, you are in trouble again if you go back trying to earn your salvation again. You place yourself back in judgment again. See, the sinning he's talking about is not lying and stealing and cheating. The sinning he's talking about is going back to bad religion that Jesus came and replaced. And instead of taking Jesus' way, we go back to the old sinning way. Because God's grace is not dependent on our goodness, as I said. If we think that in some way we earn again what Jesus bought and gives us for free, we are back to self-righteousness and we are in trouble. That's what the writer of Hebrews says later. We are focusing on ourselves instead of him. And when you even let your sins get in the way of God's blessings and drawing close to God, you have started trusting again in your own goodness, and that is works righteousness, that is self-righteousness. It is exactly what the writer of Hebrews says you can't do and grow close to God. It's thinking you're going to get close to God because you're such a good little boy or girl. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. He is not a holiness man. He is excusing sin. He's saying sin doesn't matter. Let me correct you, you judgmental. Never mind. (laughs) Oh, yes, it does. Sin matters profoundly. I am profoundly against sin for the same reason God is profoundly against sin. God is against sin because it carries within it consequences which are destructive to the person who commits that sin and to innocent victims around the sinner. 
Grace does not eliminate the law of consequences. You know what Paul said in Galatians? He says, God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. It hurt, you know, and what I'm talking about does not take away the natural consequences of sin. If you rob a bank, Jesus still loves you, but you're going to be in jail. Okay? If you mess around with somebody and your spouse catches on, Jesus may love you, but you're in trouble. The law of consequences, grace does not eliminate that. Besides that, it hurts God when we sin because it hurts us. It damages us. It hurts others. It grieves his heart. It grieves his spirit. And it warps us. It, it makes a mess out of our lives. Do you like watching your children make a mess out of their lives? Does it break your heart when your kid's on drugs? It's the same with God. And God disciplines us, by the way. But please hear this. God's discipline and punishment are not the same thing. It is not the same thing. Whom the Lord what? Whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. It doesn't say when God gets ticked at you, He disciplines you. That's not the way it works. In fact, I, I said this in the first service. It's the times I have been disciplined the most by God was when I thought I was on top of my game. When I was walking close to the Lord and I was doing good and I couldn't think of a thing I was doing that was bad. And guess what? The Lord came and said, it's time for discipline. And I'm going, what did I do wrong? He says, I'm not doing this because you did something wrong. I'm going to grow you. What better time to grow you than right now? God does not punish those he loves. He disciplines those he loves. And you have to know the difference. Plus it says in verse 15 and 16 in our Bibles that when we, get, we got saved, Jesus changed us. When we became Christians, it said he put the desire to do his will in our hearts. That's what it says in verse 16. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. When you got saved, God started writing. The typewriter started going. Remember... You know what a typewriter is, right? <laughs> Technological snobs. Anyway, <laughs> if you're a Christian this morning, you are perfect in your standing with God. You are actually holy. Did you know that? The moment you became a Christian, you became holy, changed, transformed. You are, you know, old things have passed away. The Bible doesn't say work hard and you'll be a new creature. By faith, you already are. The Bible doesn't say strive well and you might be holy. It declares that you are holy when you found Jesus. It doesn't say be disciplined and you might be transformed. It says you are already transformed when Christ came into your heart and life. So here's the bottom line. Be who you are. Christ has made you into a holy person, so why don't you live like it? Holiness is a gift much more than an achievement, although we must cooperate with the Spirit. It's a state of existence much more than hard work, although we're called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, work out what God has worked in by the power of the Spirit. When God asks us to be holy, it's only Him asking us to be what we are, to act out what we have already become, to let out what He's already put in. 
He has already written his laws in our hearts according to Hebrews. So cooperate with him. Get with the program. Quit fighting yourself and him. Be who God really made you to be. Hallelujah. And the other side of this deal is this. And I'm going to tell you some good news that most Christians don't, not only do most Christians not believe it, they actually resist it because it sounds too good to be true and it sounds so unholiness that, it's, that, that we just can't preach this. It's, even though it's in Scripture, we just can't preach this. We have to keep people in line with, with guilt and fear. But I'm going to tell you the really good news for every one of us here if you grasp it. God does not deal with sin by withholding his love from us or withholding his blessings from us. Here's the verse. Ready? Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Hallelujah. Paul says, grace covers a multitude of sins. Aren't you glad grace covers a multitude? God's blessings and answered prayers are heard on a different basis than how my day went. Sometimes we get so absurd, don't we? I was in a church and I watched people pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I heard over and over this contradictory message. Here's the contradictory message. God won't fill an unclean vessel. He is the Holy Spirit, therefore you must be a holy vessel. Talk about a catch-22. How do we make ourselves holy without the Holy Spirit? The only way to be holy is by the power of the Holy Spirit. But according to this theology, He's not coming until you do what we say you can't do without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's crazy. You can't be going in this cycle of going, you must be holy, but you can't be holy without the Holy Spirit. But, but you've but you got to be holy before the Holy Spirit comes. Nuts! When do we need the Holy Spirit the most? When do we need grace the most? When do we need God's power the most? Isn't it precisely when we sin? Isn't it precisely when we're weak? Isn't it precisely when we're trapped in an addiction or in ourselves? That's why when sin abounds, here's good news. God doesn't run when we cry out. Instead, He brings us more grace, more forgiveness, more power, more spiritual power. That's why when we are weak, he draws closer instead of abandoning us to the powers of darkness. Where sin abounds. Hallelujah. If you get hold of this, this will revolutionize your Christian life. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. You know, there's a writer and he said that the most important thing about failure is this. He said, even when we have failed... The flow of the Spirit can be restored in our lives at any moment, right now. All we have to do is ask. He said, since my family moved to Northern California, we've become surfing addicts. Actually, my son is the addict. I'm the enabler. I am not good at all at surfing. I fall off the board a lot. I spend much of my time in the water looking around for sharks. He says, stay away from beaches where there's lots of seals. If you're in the water with seals and you're wearing a wetsuit, to a shark, you're just the slowest moving seal. You might as well slather yourself up with lard and put on happy meals. If you miss one wave, if you fall off, if you wipe out, there's another wave coming right behind it. God just keeps sending them. 
He never runs out of waves. He has an inexhaustible supply. God is a wave machine. And the biblical word for that is grace. Our God never runs out of grace. He just keeps sending it wave after wave after wave. He has an inexhaustible supply. An inexhaustible supply of grace and forgiveness and help and power. He never gets tired of helping us. Isn't that good news? He understands what we are. He knows our infirmities and our chronic weaknesses. And you know what he does when you keep screwing up and you keep screwing up? He keeps sending wave after wave after wave of grace and love and healing and power. Until finally, finally, you can surf the waves. Finally, you quit falling off the board. Finally, you ride his love and it takes you to a whole new different level. Hallelujah. And here's some more good news. Can you stand all this good news this morning? Sometimes I am so saccharine sweet. Uh, why do you laugh? <laughs> here's more good news. Even a little bit of faith in the faithfulness of God unleashes God's power and healing and answers to our prayers in ways we can't imagine. A little bit of faith in God's love releases God's love into your life. A little bit of generosity unleashes God's generosity into your life. A little bit of faith in His power unleashes His power. Faith doesn't. And how much faith is enough? Here, here we, Stanley got it. Thank goodness you couldn't hear him, so I can say it. <laughs> this much. If you were sitting out in the audience, you couldn't see how much faith it takes because it is the faith of a mustard seed. Just a little bit of faith in the faithfulness of God unleashes the resources of God into your life. Isn't that good news? It unlocks everything. Grace means I depend a little bit on me and a whole lot on God. Isn't that good? One of my favorite illustrations took place years ago. It was when the Bulls were winning all those championships, six out of eight years, and the only two reasons that they didn't win eight years straight was because Michael Jordan decided to be a lousy baseball player. And during that time, Michael Jordan had what I thought was the greatest game in his career. It was against the Celtics. It was in the playoffs. It was in Boston Garden, no less. And Michael Jordan took them on by himself. The Celtics had a great team. Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish and all those great players. Some of you, Danny Ainge, yes. <laughs> Danny Ainge, he's an old man now, yeah. Thank goodness some of us stay young. Anyway, and basically it was one against five. It was Jordan against those five. And he almost beat him by himself. But they did lose the game. But Jordan poured in 63 points. And remember that famous scene where he's, he's sitting there and he's juking Larry Bird. Larry Bird's caught and he fakes and Bird almost falls on his behind and he just swishes it like, and he looks down at Bird like, you're white. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> and, uh, that's right. Now I'm getting to the funny part. Anyway, <laughs> a few late days later, 
one of Jordan's teammates was interviewed on television. And the player, he was a sub. You know, if I gave you his name, you wouldn't remember it. But at the end of the game, even though they lost, you know, they sent in the subs at the very last couple of minutes of the game. And this guy came in and scored two points. And the interviewer said to him, even though you've never led the league in scoring or made it come close to making an all-star team, can you think of a special highlight in your National Basketball Association career? And with tongue firmly in cheek, the player answered, well, just a few nights ago was my highlight. I'll never forget the night that Michael Jordan and I combined 63 for 65 plus points 2 in is 65. <laughs> when it comes to God's blessings, we get to score a point for prayer, and we get to score a point for faith. The other 63 points is provided by somebody else. You know, when Pastor, when, when Pastor Linda got healed, we get a point for prayer we get a point for love. We get a point for faith. But when she got healed, Jesus scored 63,000 points. So with our three points and the 63,000 from Jesus, Harrisburg Bick and Jesus scored 63,003 points. Hallelujah. This is the basis of answered prayer. And I know that such awesome freewheeling grace is almost an affront to us. We're going, it can't be that good. It can't be, oh, and you're going to, oh, people, they'll listen to that and send their heads off. I hope not. But this is the biblical truth I'm telling you. And the choice is whether we believe it or not. But Jesus has already made his choice. He has chosen to give himself to us, to fill us with his spirit, to answer our prayers. Jesus has chosen to bless us. He's already chosen to love you forever, to forgive you, to suspend his wrath toward you, and to treat you and me and everyone here solely on the basis of his grace. Our choice is his way or the natural self-righteous way that, that later on in verse 26 I talked about. Our choice is to come boldly, assuredly into God's presence without fear, without hesitation, to come and be ourselves and ask for his generosity or not, we need to know we have the same right to come into God's presence as Peter and James and John and the disciples. We have the same right to come into God's presence as Billy Graham and T.D. Jakes. We have the same right to come into God's presence as Francis of Assisi or Paul. You see, the invitation is not to some mystic, super saint on a mountaintop. It is to people like you and me who love Jesus. It is to Christians everywhere all the time. The invitation is not just come, but come boldly. Come with assurance. Because Jesus has made the way, and he has sent you a personal invitation to come into his presence. One night recently, I was, I was praying. No, I was you know, and I told the Lord that I didn't feel close to him. I was feeling distance and there was a lack of intimacy. And the Lord, you know, if you give him half a chance, he'll talk to you. You know what I'm saying? And in a still small voice, God said, knucklehead. <laughs> it was purely in love. It was purely in love. Knucklehead, I'm already here. <laughs> 
I'm already in you. I am closer than your own breath. Your problem, Dalton, is that you keep trying to achieve intimacy when intimacy is already given. You keep working to grab what's already here. You keep trying to take what's already yours. We are already intimate. We are already close. Quit fighting and start accepting. Quit striving and receive what's already come. We don't need to hunt for God. God has been hunting for us from eternity. We only need to open our eyes and receive Him. We don't need to prove anything or earn anything from God. We just need to receive what's already gifted to us. What Jesus died to give us. To come boldly means we know God has already come and rejoices to be with us. To come boldly means we act on the fact that God already has grabbed us and is clutching us to His heart. To come boldly means we could trying to pay for what's already paid for and earn what's already free. So come! That night I felt like a person who had journeyed around the world trying to find God, only to discover God was right here all along waiting for me to come home. He's waiting for you too. He's waiting for you too. And the result will be that when we pray, when we open ourselves to God, God will move in your heart and life. He will convict you of sin. The Holy Spirit, so He can free he you. He will from break you. your bondages. He will make your heart want and hunger for spiritual realities. He will make Himself real to you and reveal Himself to you. He will clean you up from the inside out. And He will grant miracles too. Some we directly ask for and recognize them immediately. And some that take us by surprise and we find out they were better than what we asked for. He will answer prayers, some in ways that are obvious and some in ways that are not. Some prayers will be answered quickly and some prayers will be answered for a lifetime. But here's the point. You must come as you are. You must start where you are. Come boldly. Because if you wait until you get your act together, you will never come. You'll never come. If you wait until you deserve to be heard, you will never be heard. If you wait until you're perfect to pray, you will never, ever pray with any confidence at all. Because flesh cannot clean up flesh. Only the Holy Spirit can clean us, and He can't do that till we come as we are. So come in faith, come boldly. And here's the point. Come on His merits, not yours. Come on the basis of the blood of the Lamb that was shed, not because you're a good little boy or a good little girl, because our best still is as filthy rags. Our best is still not good enough. There is only one collateral, one credit union in heaven, and it's Jesus' credit union. You either take what He gives or you have nothing. Open yourself to the Spirit and see what He can do. You know, I was talking to someone after, and I, I didn't have this in the first sermon, so you're going to really get blessed. <laughs> but... Uh, I was telling somebody 
as they walked out the door, you know, and, and they were profusely telling me what a great sermon this was. Uh, <laughs> actually, I kept tapping on the mic saying, is anybody out there? It was, <laughs> is, this, is this microphone working? But uh, I said, you know, it just hit me. Many of us, when we get saved, experience profound joy. And then through the years, we lose our joy in the Holy Spirit. And you know why? Because when we first get saved, we know it's totally by grace. We know we were forgiven and we didn't have a leg to stand on. We know we're loved and didn't earn a thing. We, we receive grace, and, the, and, the, and when you receive grace, there's joy. And then, after a while, we lapse into works righteousness. We start going, well, Jesus saved me, but I'll take it from here, Jesus. I'll keep myself clean from here. I'll be good enough. I'll earn the rest from here on out. I mean, I needed you at the start, but I, works righteousness takes over. Listen, I'm going to tell you again. Either you are saved by grace and you stay saved by grace and you pray by grace or you lapse back into works, works righteousness. You lapse back into self-righteousness you la and, and you lose your joy. You lose your boldness. The only way you can come boldly into the throne room of God is on the merits of Jesus, not yours ever. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Again, this invitation is to every Christian. Come boldly. Come as you are. Come with confidence in God's grace. Because I have a promise for you. As a believer, when you come into God's presence, there is only love waiting for you. There is only your acceptance in the beloved waiting for you. There is only God wanting to bless you, waiting for you. Whether you've had a good day or a bad one, hallelujah. And that should take you from thinking you should pray till you want to pray. Because who wouldn't want to go into the presence of the greatest person in, in all of existence and know without a doubt that you are totally accepted and totally loved and totally forgiven, and that when you get there, you are talking to wouldn't the best friend to do a person that. could ever Why wouldn't you hunger to do that? If you understand grace and you understand your acceptance and the basis of your acceptance, then it has tremendous implications for prayer. Jesus wants you to come into his presence boldly, full of assurance, and he wants to love on you and help you and heal you and cleanse you and empower you and transform you. And it's, oh, wow. Anyway, I got to stop here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You're so much better than the first group. And, uh, <laughs> uh, please don't share that. Uh, I'm sure you won't. Um, I want, you, I want to take a minute, just a couple of minutes, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want you to start where you are with who you are, and I want you to come boldly into the presence of God. I want you to believe what you've just heard and bring who you are into the presence of God right now.
Lord Jesus, forgive us for every time we quit trusting in your righteousness and start trusting in ours. Forgive us for every time we stop believing in your grace because we think it's up to our works instead of the work on the cross. Forgive us, Lord, for every time we have switched from the marvelous gospel to bad religion. Help us, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, I pray for people here today who need to feel your love. Lord, there are people here today who, who desperately want you, but they're afraid of you and what you might do in their hearts and lives. Lord, touch them. Lord, there are people here today who are angry at you. They need to feel your love. Lord, there are people who, here today who are trapped. And Lord, they think you can't possibly love them in that cage they're in. Lord, show up in the cage. Lord, there are people here today who are in pain. And the pain is blocking out your voice. Lord, please make your voice louder than their pain. Lord, help us to come boldly, dragging ourselves in or running in or dancing in, but help us to come as we are, who we are, and believe that nothing but love waits on us there. We pray this, Jesus. Help us to believe the news of the gospel that seems too good to be true. Help us to believe it, not just the day we got saved, but for every day we are saved for the rest of our lives. In your name we ask it. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And what I did in the first service, I want to do here also. We're starting the week of prayer. And one of the things I've had a burden for for a long time, and a number of you have too, is for revival to come to this church and to come to Harrisburg. And if you would like to, I, if, if, if that's really a burden on your heart this morning, I'd like you to just come and stand in the front, and we're going to join hands, and we're going to pray for revival before we leave here, launching the week of prayer, okay? And also, when you get up here, hold hands. And I want you to do something we don't normally, I want you to pray out loud as we pray for revival. And you can hold hands back there too. If you have a real pray out loud back come. there too. And as we sing this so final song, let us pray for the spirit of God to be unleashed in our midst. And maybe we can receive that better now that we understand the grace behind the power. Amen? Amen. Amen. Oh 
worthy, Jesus. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself to you, Lord. Give myself Give myself away. Because you're worthy, God. You are worthy, God. Give myself away. So you can use me. My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give my to you my life is not my own to you I belong I give myself I give myself to you here I am to worship here I am to bow here I Never know how much 
Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I have a feeling we're going to have a very good year in 2016. The Spirit is moving, and I can't wait to see what He does. Our job is to believe. Our job is to receive. Our job is to have the faith the size of a mustard seed and see what God will do and surrender our lives to what He's doing. Amen? Now, God bless you as you go out into 2016. And let's just enter into His presence with boldness every day. Not because we should, but because we want to and we get to. Amen? God bless you. You are, you can go home now. <laughs>